Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Author Talk and Author House. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Right On, W-R-I-T-E, On, and it's uh, subtitled My Spiritual Reflections and Personal Feelings. And joining me from Mississippi is the author, David Bender. Welcome to the program, David. Thank you. This is a unique book. It, uh, uh, I think, would be a, a, an obvious uh, statement to say this is a spiritual reflection of some type. And uh, with your background it, uh, in looking at the content, it's uh, very unique. Uh, tell my listeners a little a bit about this. This took about five or six years to write, if I understand the, the history. Well, I really didn't set out to write a book. I just wrote to cope with the events in my life and to try to make sense of it. And I wrote little poems and little articles and shared them with people, and they seemed to appreciate it, so I continued. Uh, your personality yeah, your personality is, uh, I, I would say, different, uh, maybe, at least in your writing. It's, uh, it's not a typical spiritual adventure book or devotional. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, parables maybe, or a contemporary reflection on uh, historical events that happened in biblical times. How would you describe it? Well, all of that and, and more, I guess. Uh, let's see. Now you're involved in well, ch- you're involved in church and and ministry work yourself, correct? I am. Yes, I kind of direct a, a food pantry at a a good sized church. And so I see a lot of people who have needs, a lot of people who struggle, a lot of people who are hurting, and so I share my writing with them too. And you're writing your your articles or your contemporary uh, approach to to writing and approaching these problem areas are uh, relatively short and to the point. They're what about a page, page and a half of reading, pretty pretty straightforward. How are people using them? How are they responding to the the uh, particular uh, uh, stories that you've written? Well, they come back and tell me that they encouraged them. Some people have taken them to their churches and used them to study on their Wednesday night groups or something like that. Yes, sir. And and you also have some, I would say, controversial titles like God's Divorce. Uh, that's an interesting, interesting title. Uh, I'm assuming because I have a background of being provocative in my statements, uh, I'm, you are trying to get the, the reader's attention. Uh, would that be a good way to describe that? That's a good way to describe it. Yes, I tend to think outside of any box, I guess, if there's a box, and these thoughts pop in my mind, and if I sit down within a few days and start writing, it comes to me, and I'll just write something. 
Uh, you've also titled one the pagan evangelist. In your opinion, in in all of the stories you've shared in the 150 pages or so, uh, which of the stories or the titles do you think will be the most um, interesting or intriguing for a, risk, a listener who's maybe walking through a bookstore and they may pick it up and look at the the titles? What do you think is going to grab them the the most? Well, one of my favorite is the first one, God's Addiction, because we don't think about God as having any kind of problems. And it's written, can I share it with you? Oh, absolutely. Love to hear it. You know, it's written from, okay, I'll just share it, God's Addiction. The word on the street, out on the streets of gold and near the north gates of the New Jerusalem, is that God's off the wagon again. God has a problem. Does that shock you? Well, think again. Everyone has their weaknesses, and God is no exception. Even God has a little secret. You see, God likes to spend. He doesn't know when to quit. He's in the futures again. Jehovah has this thing for those bewildering humans. God has a habit. The Almighty has bet almost all he has on some scheme to help those confused humans. He thinks he can rehabilitate planet Earth. God has a wild dream. Yahweh is gambling again. He just keeps giving out grace, like he was made of mercy or something. It's cost him a bundle already. God has a weakness. It's cost the father his son and nearly broke his heart. When will he ever learn? You can't talk any sense into him. God has an addiction. The great I am, he's nuts over those humans. Sees some good in them. Believes someday they'll be worth something. He just keeps betting on them. God has an obsession. Yes, God's gambling on the futures, playing the odds, hoping that someday his huge investment in humanity will pay off handsomely. God is a savior-holic. Thought, very thought-provoking. That was written, uh, what, 2005, something like that. Uh, did, did you always, have you kept a, a, a journal, a, a diary, or how have you retained these stories or these thoughts? I have journals. don't know where they all are anymore from that far back, but yeah, and, you know, now I've switched to a computer. Uh-huh. But anyway, yes. All of your stories uh, have that provocative uh, title stinger or whatever you would call that i don't know they they are they are certainly uh attention getting for sure did you set out to have attention getting titles or or did they come did they come first or or did they come after the the articles were written i guess they probably came first it was just a a different way to look at something and then i started writing about this different way I love the title of this one, which, for those who are uh, in a faith community, what kind of Bible story would your life be? Uh, that pretty much is a sermon just in that statement alone. Uh, these, uh, although they have some humor in the titles and uh, certainly in the contents, they are really serious. You're wanting to get people's attention, are you not? Well, you know, I like anything that makes me think and makes me think of something I haven't thought of before so yeah that's kind of how i write is i try to make people 
stretch the boundaries of their imagination, their thinking, what, what they've experienced so far in life. You also talk about Judas Iscariot, which I thought was an interesting title. Judas Iscariot and his family sues Christianity or sues Christians. What is that about? Well, I was kind of thinking of today's society and how so happy people are. And, and you know, the New Testament says the, the, a lot of people brought their money and gave it to the disciples, so the family would probably want to get in on that. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, after Judas Iscariot died, they they would come after the estate, I, I am thinking, is, is what your uh, perspective was on that. And that's exactly what I'm saying, yes, in today's society, for sure. <laughs> wow. Uh, you you have uh, talked uh, about one title that I, I think is uh, maybe common parla- parlance for those who are people of faith. Uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That's one of the titles you've uh, you have uh, I've shared. Uh, a grandson, the heart of his universe. Now talk about that. That is one I'm not familiar with. Okay. Well, can I read that one? Yes, please do. I mean, it's just a little something. Uh, It was inspired by my first grandson, so I went ahead and wrote something. A grandson, the heart of his universe. He faces the world with confidence and a grin. No fear in his manner, only supreme self-assurance. Nothing scares him, nothing bothers him, for he's the master of his universe. He explores, he reaches out. Everywhere he goes, he is full of wonder and delight. Nothing scares him, nothing bothers him, for he is the ruler of his universe. He laughs with people, he talks to strangers. He treads where he's never gone before. Nothing scares him, nothing bothers him, for he is the center of his universe. He climbs, he crawls, he goes over and under. He's a famous explorer always expanding the edges of his universe. Nothing scares him, nothing bothers him, for he is the creator of his universe. He is a scientist, he is a researcher, he is an athlete and a scholar, always searching, always studying. Nothing scares him, nothing bothers him, for he is the king of his universe. He is an actor, he is an imitator, copying adults, figuring out a puzzle, Life is a maze to understand. Nothing scares him, nothing bothers him, for he is the focus of his universe. He is a fountain of energy, always moving, perpetually in motion, talking, singing, looking to mommy. Nothing scares him, nothing bothers him, for he is the heart of his universe. He is a star, he is a celebrity. Wherever he goes, he wins hearts and makes friends. Nothing scares him, nothing bothers him, for he is the life of his universe. Very reflective. I uh, wrote a poem or a reflective thought uh, when my son was very, very young. I've never shared it with him, and uh, when I shared it with my wife, she thought I was uh, maybe over the edge a little bit. Uh, she didn't understand what I was talking about when I uh, when I used the term the sorrow of joys, and uh, what I was looking at was a son who was bringing great joy to my life, but I also knew that it was a fleeting moment, and I think your poetry, your 
prose reflects on incidents in life that we need to be thinking about a little deeper than just the casual surface that we see uh, superficially. I think that w- would that be a way to describe what you've done? Yeah, I probably think about things. I've been accused of thinking deeper about things and some people around me. <laughs> uh, that's not a bad. That's not a bad accusation. Actually, I I, I can relate to that. You have uh, completed this, and uh, were there challenges? Do you feel like there's more to come in the future? Are you going to write a sequel to this? Well, I sir, I have enough material to make another book. Yes, sir. Beautiful, David. Do you have any others that are a favorite of yours? Yes, I like this one called International Inquirer. It's just a short one, putting an experience of of Jesus, if it had happened in today's time, how it might have taken place. It's called International Inquirer, Chicago, June 17. He's at it again. The stories never stop. Hundreds of eyewitnesses claim Jesus of Las Vegas did something supernatural at Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore last week. Thousands of people from Chicago converged on the park when they got word that that Jesus and his deacons stopped their vans and were camped at the park. Witnesses say Jesus taught and healed, as they call it, all day long. As the sun was setting, Jesus took five Big Macs and two fries and blessed them. Then people alleged Jesus started handing the food out to his twelve deacons. Now get this. They claim he just kept handing the five hamburgers and two fries to all 20,000 people who had been listening. Yes, thousands ate from one lunch. How do these stories get started, and why do they always have to do with Jesus? They just get wilder and wilder. Does he drug these listeners or what? They come up with these cockamamie stories, and they sound so sincere. (laughs) <laughs> Beautifully put. That that that's a reflection that I uh, I can relate to, and I think most contemporary uh, listeners can as well. Yes, you know, if if Jesus had the contemporary media to deal with, it go something like that. I think perhaps. Absolutely, I, I would recommend this as uh, good reading for grandparents, parents, uh, children, young adults. Uh, the stories and the thoughts are brief. But they are, I would say, deep in their reflection, and uh, certainly give you something gives you something to think about uh, as you're reading the book, and uh, reading the contents of it. The title of the book again is "Right On." W R I T E on O N. My spiritual reflections and personal feelings. So it's not just a Bible study; it's a reflection on life and uh, things uh, that reflect on biblical principles because David does have a background in working in the church environment. David, thank you for joining me today. My listeners uh, should get a copy of this. How do they do so? They can go to authorhouse.com, or they can go to amazon.com. And, and at, at Amazon, you just put in right on David Bender, and it'll come up. Beautiful. And if they do a search under your name or at a local bookseller, they can order it in, I believe, uh, by the author's name, David, B-E-N-D-E-R, David Bender, and the title, Right On. 
David, thank you for sharing your time with us, and best of luck. We hope to hear from you in the future. I think this will be an inspiration to to my listeners. I, I, I feel like they will benefit from getting a copy of this, and it'll be a reference book for them to reflect on their life and also on the lives of those around them. Thank you again for inspiring us today. Well, you're very welcome. I hope that they are inspired as they think more about God and His great mercy and grace. Beautifully said. Thank you, David, for joining me today. You're welcome. For Author House and Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcasts. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts... Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is The Wisdom of the Covenants and Their Relevance to Our Times. And joining me is the author, John Watt. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. This is a fascinating book because it's 396 pages. You have a, a wonderful background as an author, having written several books that have been published that uh, deal with the uh, Chinese culture. That in itself is a fascinating story. Perhaps you can share with my listeners a little of why your other books are dealing with the uh, Chinese culture and why this book apparently is dealing with what I would call the Christian or Judeo-Christian history, and its leaders. Uh, yes, certainly. I got interested in China at the age of around 10, and I maintained that interest all through my professional life. So I studied Chinese history both at college and, well, more in graduate school, and I got a PhD in Chinese history, Chinese and Japanese history. So that's my professional uh, interest and activity over the last uh, 40 years or so. And uh, after I retired, I took up something else. It, and and you also are a, a musician, if I'm understanding your yes, personal interest. That is, that is correct. I play the piano, and I enjoy playing chamber music tremendously, and I usually go to a chamber music uh, camp every summer. And I also play the organ moderately well well the phenomenal at one time yes 
Go on, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that's a, that's a phenomenal accomplishment just in its own right, and and yet you have uh, published uh, three or four books uh, in addition to this one. This book, the wisdom of the covenants and their relevance to our times has to do with ethics, if I'm understanding the basic premise of your book, and yet you tie it to the Christian Judeo-ethic story. Is that a good way to describe this? That's an excellent way to describe this. Um, When I was writing about China, China has several ethical systems, but the main one has been, up till now, Confucianism. And that was the the ism that... um, dictated how people manage their lives and their business. But in, here in, in the Western world, it is, a, it is the Bible that has been the, the anchor of ethical conduct, both personal and public. I would say there's also a lot of Confucianism in the United States right now. I'm just a, just a side. Uh, you have... Uh... You have uh, yeah. also studied with with uh, a Jewish rabbi or a rabbinical teaching uh, in order to uh, accomplish the contents of your book. How did that come about? Well, we were living in a place called Hastings on Hudson, <clears throat> and I was playing the organ at the local Episcopal church. But I got to know the rabbi of the, the of the local temple. He was a very attractive man, and. He invited us to attend some services, so I did that, and then he invited me to attend the Bible study group at the temple. I did that, and then he invited me to attend a Talmudic study group in downtown Manhattan. I did that, too, and I just found it an extraordinarily stimulating way of learning about uh, the Bible. Uh, You have titled the book, uh, specifically the wisdom of the covenants. Now explain to my listeners what a covenant refers to and how that should impact us in our current culture. Well, a covenant was a, a way of arranging uh, a relationship between the, lo- the local people, uh, Jewish people, of course, and the God uh, known as Yahweh, and uh, it, it, in the past, covenants also were secular documents between different groups to arrange uh, how they'd get on together without fighting constantly. And the, this covenant adopted the format of those secular covenants, but it was with a, a god, not with a, a normal human being. And this was not any normal god either. This was god who when you read the prophets in the Bible, was a, a a God that had a tremendous ability to manage the spiritual life, for better or for worse. Hmm. So um, the first co- the first really big covenant was the covenant that Moses worked out in Mount Sinai while the Jewish people were leaving Egypt, where they'd been comfortable for. Several, several centuries, I suppose, and then were out in the desert and having to fend for themselves, and it required extraordinary leadership on the part of Moses to keep them together and to sign on to the covenant that he worked out with the uh, invisible 
but very present deity. Your your book uh, outlines, and and I, I like the way that it is, uh, I, I, I guess outlined, I guess is the way to describe it. I mean, the covenants of the Bible is the first section, In Search of Covenants, the second, yeah. and third, the contemporary problems and how they uh, equate to our current culture and how uh, perhaps we can interpret the biblical covenants and, and why and how they could uh, positively impact our lives today. The the Christian context and the Hebrew context, uh, they are compatible, are they not? They're more compatible than one than one might imagine. It's, it's just various problems that got in the way of complete compatibility, and uh, <clears throat> still get in the way of complete compatibility. And when so you, yeah. you go to a Jewish if you go to a Jewish service, um, a lot of the text comes straight out of the Bible, especially Deuteronomy. Uh, but um, there are aspects of Christianity that Jewish people can't handle, um, particularly the divinity of Jesus. Mm. And in order to bridge those confusions uh, or differences in our faith, uh, we still can and should be able to establish a principle of living that will impact us positively. Would that be something you are trying to achieve with your book? Absolutely. And in that, there's no distinction between how Jewish people want to live and how Christian people want to live. The values of the covenant apply to both groups, regardless of what they think about Jesus. John, how long did it take to complete the, the uh, I would say, exemplary and uh, certainly extensive work that's included in the 396 pages of the Wisdom of the Covenants? Well, I was working on it <clears throat> for about 20 years, wow. uh, even while I was writing a, a book about uh, saving lives in Wuhan, China. So I had these two books going simultaneously. And uh, there was a certain amount of overlap uh, having to do with the primacy of values in maintaining life in in very life-threatening circumstances. That was the China book. And then I I think Moses also felt the circumstances were life-threatening. If he couldn't establish the values of uh, justice and mercy, loving God and loving your neighbor, then we were, he wasn't going to get anywhere, and he, he would have failed. He was a guy who just couldn't fail. He was an extraordinary leader in a time of great crisis. And the one thing also I found uh, that was interesting or fascinating about your personal history, your family has a, uh, a wonderful lineage of being involved in church, in uh, what I'd say community, um, faith, Ministry would that uh, be an interesting sideline for my listeners? Oh yes, definitely. I mean, my I had a grandfather who was an Episcopal bishop in Ontario, and my father was an elder of St Giles Cathedral in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, and then I had a brother who was studied theology. So it was all around, and that, that's I'm many more examples that, that I could give of. Uh, people who are interested in, in practicing life from the perspective of religious values. What do you want the reader to take away from reading your work, and do you think it would appeal to just about anyone 
uh, whether they are uh, of the faith community or not. Yes, well, one of the important lessons of the Bible is that women are as important as men in the practice of uh, of a um, public uh, a world in which the public is managed through ethical standards. Above all, love of neighbor and love of the divinity. And uh, women have been as ardent practitioners of that as men, but they never had the leadership roles. So um, it is it is now we're, we're actually in a very good time when women are beginning to step up to the leadership roles. And generally speaking, all the women I know who are ministers or or rabbis are doing very well as leaders mm. in, in that position. There are also examples of that in the New Testament, if I understand my reading of uh, are, of some of the things. There are indeed. They're, they're right there in the text. Uh, it's just easy to pass by without really stopping and being made to think about what those women really meant, for, especially for, for Jesus. He had women who looked after him in a way that was beyond what the disciples were able to do. You have uh, mentioned a few of the uh, unbelievable or at least fascinating characters that are included in your book, some of them well-known. Obviously, Moses, Job, Adam and Eve, Jesus, Paul, and then George III. That one uh, I wasn't familiar with. Explain (laughs) who that is. (laughs) George III was the guy who was... was, uh, I might almost say slandered in the Declaration of Independence, for I am originally English, although I'm not mm. an American citizen. And he, it was really his ministers who who um, deserved to be dissed <laughs> and criticized uh. by Jefferson and Co. George III was sort of a, he was the ruler. He was the pharaoh of the time. The documents that came out of the American Revolution are very, very important documents, and they are basically biblical uh, in their um, understanding of the importance of honest behavior and uh, loving your neighbor and all that, the basic ideas of Christianity. And also the basic foundation of uh, of the covenants in the United States to the citizens. At least that's how it initially was uh, laid out. Now, when you... Yes, I think that... Go ahead. No, I, that that would uh, also be a part of the, uh, the uh, history, part of the legacy of uh, the history you've outlined in the book. Who would you describe as the ideal reader? Who do you think will benefit from this, and what do you want them to get out of it? Well, I, I'm in I'm in correspondence with a, an Episcopal priest, Rosa Willen, in Virginia, who uh, used this book for her reading group, which included two Presbyterian ministers. Hmm. So they somehow managed to all read the text and discuss it, and it got an incredibly positive response from them. 
and I, I just uh, was reading this response earlier today, and so I found that pretty exciting, uh, and, uh, but not uh, unexpected. You have to, you know, you, if you if you read the Bible, you've got to have a tolerance for ancient Jewish history. Not everybody does. I mean, my even my own members of my own family think, "What the hell are we doing uh-huh. worrying about people who lived two thousand years ago?" Mm. But actually, that's that's where our values were fought out and and established, and it was a tremendous struggle to get these values into the covenant. Well, as a, a historian and also lover of music and arts, you have done a wonderful job in completing a book that I think would be not only challenging for many who have uh, preconceived notions about covenants, but also open up their eyes about maybe a new way of looking at life and uh, approaching our current uh, economy and our current lifestyle and how we can better uh, grow in our faith. The uh, title of which is The Wisdom of the Covenants and Their Relevance in Our Two Our Times. My guest author, John Watt. John, where do I get a copy of your book? <laughs> you can actually get it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. Beautiful. And uh, do you have a website uh, developed yet? Um, I, it's not really developed. I, I have I had a page on Facebook, and I have a Twitter account, but I've been ga- going through uh, some physical problems for the last month or so, so I haven't been able to get these up to speed yet. Well, I understand but the challenges. I, if, if, but if people want to buy the book, and I certainly would love it if they did, uh, Amazon is, a, is an easy target. You just put in the title of the book and the author, John Watt, and it will come up. Beautiful. And I'm sure the same is true of Barnes & Noble. Absolutely. And they can request it from their local bookseller also under the title of the author, or under the name of the author, John, J-O-H-N, Watt, W-A-T-T, and uh, this book, plus the others uh, of the Chinese culture, will also uh, arise in uh, their site, and they can purchase those as well. The title of this one, again, is The Wisdom of the Covenants and Their Relevance to Our Times. Thank you, John, for writing this book and sharing it with the world and uh, for your expertise in, in all things that uh, are somewhat complex to most of us mortals. Thank you again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for interviewing me. My pleasure for Author House and Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts. Back in a moment. It's Marching hear about Wesley, the golden retriever puppy from Michigan that was fitted with braces? Before you think this is a bona fide insanity, Wesley was born with teeth that were so crooked he couldn't shut his mouth all the way. This was affecting his ability to eat properly. So his owners took him to the Harborfront Hospital for Animals and Veterinary Dental Solutions, where a doggy orthodontist prescribed him a set of braces. And now, pictures of Wesley smiling with his bright, shiny braces have been circling the Internet. With all that metal wrapped around their teeth, some would think that most dogs would 
become Bruxelmaniacs, but not Wesley. He doesn't mind the braces at all and is now able to eat his food with gusto. A Bruxelmaniac is someone with an uncontrollable urge to grind their teeth. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is The Gifts of God's Grace. And the author who joins me from Mississippi is Nancy Tedford Oliver. Welcome to the program. No, thank you for having me. Well, Nancy, I've been looking over your book. There's uh, an interesting title, The Gifts of God's Grace. Uh, you have a, a, an interesting story about how that title came about. I believe it had something to do with your grandchild or something. Can you share that story with my my listening audience? Well, it did. It, it really had something to do with all of my grandchildren. Um but the gifts of God's grace, how it came about, it, it did take me several years to write it. When I first write, started writing the book, I, I had no clue that it was a book. Uh, I would awake in the middle of the night, and I would just go to my computer and just start typing. And then later, years later, I realized it was a book. And so I named the book The Gift of God's Grace. I woke up from my sleep one night, and I had dreamed that the book title should be The Gifts with the S of God's Grace. So I went up and I changed the title. Um, there's so much in the book. To me, I, I feel like the book is was inspired. I actually feel like the book was is probably for me as much as it, as it is anyone else. I have learned so much from this book. Uh, but uh, so my husband, he was reading um, names, you know, what my name means. My name is Nancy Jane, and he was just reading the names. And my first name uh, meant uh, God's grace, and my second name meant the gift of God. Hmm. So I'm like, a rush just went up and down me because I knew that was the title of my book. But getting about the grandchild, um, her name was Kelsey, and well, still is Kelsey. <laughs> she is um, 21 now, I think. She was three years old. Three years old, wow. And I was bringing her home with me. She was sitting in the back. It was dark. It was at night. And all of a sudden, she said, Nana, you've got to trust the Lord. You've got to trust God. And hmm. I immediately, while I was driving, just started crying, and I'm thinking, this child... You know, and so I had been going a few things, and I'm thinking, I am not placing all of my trust in God by trusting in His grace and trusting in Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, that it's the finished work, and that I'm supposed to be joyful, you know. Mm. And so the same child, five years later, I went to her home, and she said, no, I have something to show you we're doing at school. I have a paperweight. And she handed it to me, and it said, trust God. So I knew at that point I had not been trusting God. And I think that's really how the book arrived, is my trust in the Lord and gaining that peace uh, from listening to what He is telling me in my heart 
and studying his word. Mm-hmm. Well, it's 106 pages. Uh, you uh, have mentioned in there that your upbringing, at least as far as religious training, was in a very uh, controlling environment or a very uh, legalistic church uh, setting. And yet, during your personal study, you came to the, uh, the to the realization that God was not a judgmental God necessarily, that that was not his primary uh, attributes, but that he was a God of grace. And that's, again, part of the title. It is. It is. And I, and I found out through study that the Bible says that he is a God of love, and he loves us. He said, cast your care upon me. And he said, for I care for you. He even cares for the sparrow. It's just, I'm just so joyful. Uh, in Philippians, you'll find the scripture, think on these things, the things that are good. Um, but getting back to the um, my upbringing, uh, we had a very good upbringing. My mother was just wonderful. And the church was wonderful. But we were, we were Pentecostal, and there were so many rules. And I was in so much fear. Mm. But I never discussed this fear, um, you know, afraid I wouldn't be good enough for God. Yes. And so in my 20s, I started studying, and I found I found this grace and about God being a love, and He doesn't want us to be scared about things. Um, he's there for us, and He cares for us. And each of us have to dig deep within ourselves, because if we confess our sins and trust what Jesus did on the cross, if we confess to him our sins and invite him to our heart, he is there. And uh, we can live our life through him. He's with us and let our life shine because it's not us shining, but it's Jesus in us. And uh, so no reason for fear. We just need to develop the trust and the faith. It's a faith walk. Uh, you'll read uh, in Paul's writings um, about the uh, dispensation of grace and, and having faith and trusting the Lord. And so this was the realization that I feel that was um, actually granted to me from the Lord. He showed me who he really is, not who I thought he was. Uh, would you describe your book as a devotional book, a personal devotional book that that kind of dips the pen into your history and into your personal journey? It does. It does. And you know what? My oldest sister, um, um, she, actually, she is in a home, and she is just doing great. She loves it there. She called me, and she said, Nancy, I love your book. She said, I am using it for a devotional. Hmm. And then another one of my older sisters called me, and she was doing the same. Um, so some people are using it, you know, for devotional. Um, what 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 was your primary purpose? I mean, when you began to assemble all of the writings you'd done and decided, what made you decide to put it into print and share it with others? Well, you know, I have a large family, um, you know, children, grandchildren, siblings, uh, and and so forth. Um, basically, I just wanted to get it in book form, and uh, then I, I talked with Author House. Uh, I had talked with the other lady that had used Author House, and so they basically just helped me get it in form, and then we just decided to share it, 
and that's how it came about. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of uh, feedback are you getting besides have, have, have uh, I don't know, pastors or leaders or teachers uh, who are in gospel work have read your book, and have they commented on it? Okay. Well, I've had a few people. Um, it's, it's shared through social media. It's just about anywhere, if you could Google it, uh, The Gifts of God's Grace, uh, and then I have a website you can go to and order the book. Um, it's just about anywhere online that you could Google. Um, I, I have had a few uh, reviews. I wish I had more in there. Um, I think the book is just now kind of like taking off. Um, but I want to get back to this about, you had asked me a question about how I came to name the book. Yes. Well, the book is in like three segments. The first segment is my life. The second segment is what I learned from my life, my upbringing. And the third one would be chapters in the back would be uh, basically what I learned from watching others. Hmm. As I was growing up, you've always, I always remember this, you've always got someone watching you. And uh, and so that's in three segments in the book. Um, and I was pondering one day, well, why would it be the title, The Gifts of God's Grace? Well, it was like the spirit inside me said, hey, everything in this book is a gift of God's grace. From when we're born, living through life, and till we, you know, die, all of that is a gift of God's grace. He gives us gifts, uh, like uh, being able to love someone. That's a gift. Being able to see. You know, everything in life is a gift, and that's not just to me, but it's to everyone. And we need to acknowledge this and realize that God loves us, and we need to trust Him. And it is through the gifts of God's grace that we have all of this, that we actually have life. Mm-hmm. Well, was there a, a, a challenge in writing this or sharing this publicly? Uh, if, if so, uh, let us know what that might have been and also the rewards so far. Okay, reward, um, rewards, okay. I guess the most rewarding would be when someone calls me and says, I love that chapter, and then they're, they're crying. I love that chapter. You know, that was meant for me, you know. Mm. But I, I do wish more people would read the book. Uh, but it, like I said, it is online, and uh, sometimes it takes a little while for a book, you know, to start off. But I do believe that uh, if more people would read it, I believe they would. it's so simple. Um, I believe that the, the people would like the book, the ones that haven't read it. And and I think everyone can get just a nugget out of it. And it's for all ages. as a simple book for young teens all the way through older adults. Mm-hmm. Well, it's beautifully done. A very, very, uh, again, succinct to the point. The uh, chapters are not long, uh, 106 or 7 pages, not not super long, but just the, the right it. size. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's distinctive, and yet you've got and, uh, and, and 20 chapters mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and of course the, the book is simple, um, and uh, so I had to come to some point, hey, I just felt like in my spirit, hey, just go ahead and make a book out of it, you know, share it with your family, uh, and then of course we did the it's all in the media, just about anywhere. When you Google it, bookmad.com, uh, barnesandnoble.com, 
it's all online. I don't think it's in any, any of the stores right now. But if you do go to Google and just put the gifts of God's grace, um, and you'll pull up my website, and uh, and there we can blog, um, or you can order the book. Now I will also let you know that all the proceeds go to um, our charity beautiful. and Saint Jude. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, beautiful! The gifts of God's grace is the title. Accepting life as a gift from God. Letting God lead in good times and bad. And you have also commented that about 92% of this book is only dealing with the positive things that have happened in your life. And maybe there might be 6 or 7% that that might deal with uh, things that are uh, maybe not always positive, but they do turn out positively because of, again, the acceptance of God's grace as a gift. Now, the author again, Nancy Tedford Oliver. If you do a search under that name, you can locate this book and uh, also order it from your local bookseller. Again, Barnes & Noble, online, Amazon, and other locations, you can find it immediately. And uh, is it in downloadable form yet? Um, I think they've got a, a Kindle. Wonderful. You can. Um, yeah, I think just about in every place has Kindle. Very good. And as a hardback or as a softback book, it would be a great addition to your library. Nancy, has this inspired you to possibly continue uh, work as an author? Well, you know, uh, I love to write. I'm, I'm still writing. Uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, I wrote an old children's book. But I, I'm probably not going to, I don't know. I might do something with it, but I would like to stay in the Christian writing if I do per, pursue it. Um, I'm just, everything's pending right now. But like I said, I love to write, so I'm always writing. Excellent. So you never know. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing your story and sharing this inspirational uh, book that could be also used, again, as a devotional guide or maybe even a teaching uh, platform for yeah. those who are teachers mm-hmm. and pastors. They could use some of the thoughts in here and address a congregation or a crowd or maybe just share their faith. Thanks again for joining me today. Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. My pleasure for Author House and Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.